Welcome to the Top Order podcast. The boys are back in town to talk about the Black Caps reaching the final of the World T20 against Baldy's beloved Australia. Not a scheduled podcast, and I think if England had made it to the final, we wouldn't be recording. But we are on this lovely balmy evening here in Auckland. We're going to have reactions to the semi-finals, all the key moments, credit to the sides in the tournament so far. Conway's injury and lineup changes, key matchups, why Australia can win, why New Zealand can win, and of course our predictions, which may or may not be right. All coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. Baldy, going to come to you first with an explainer. We've had some feedback about your last explainer. So a chance of redemption here. Where's the final? What can we expect on the TV? Um, And yeah, ground conditions, please. Yeah, so the final of the T20 World Cup between Australia and New Zealand is going to be at Lords on Wednesday morning at about half past three uh, UK time. Of course, that is wrong. It will be in Dubai on Monday morning, New Zealand time, 3 a.m., same time, same bat channel for those who got up and watched the semifinals. And Australia will take on New Zealand, the underdogs coming through in the semifinals. And Baldy, geez, uh, you're, you've played that top order predictions curse just absolutely perfectly. You said you wanted it to be New Zealand, Australia. Then you predicted it would be England, Pakistan. That's just tremendous work. I mean, if we've actually kind of cornered this and we can start using it to our advantage, that would be brilliant. What do you What do you reckon? The only certainty in life, of course, is that I'm going to be wrong whenever I make a prediction. So now it's worked in my favour. I do this in the footy tipping every year. I tip against my favourite team, uh, and if they win then it's great. But if I lose, then at least I get my tip right. So uh, I've used that to my advantage in the semifinals. And uh, I don't think we really decided. We, we had a little bit of a planning meeting before and we were like, well, who's going to start off the podcast? Because uh, obviously the Kiwis here want to get all fizzed up. And Binksy was like, oh, look, let's just get my news out of the way. And I think we, uh, much to my disappointment, I think we decided that we were just going to get England out of the way because uh, otherwise, I think they've got a plane to catch or something, Binksy? Yeah, look, I, I guess... Um I, I did actually bite at someone on Twitter, I think. They'd, they'd posted that, you know, same old meme where, um, you know, they'd got the picture of um, Daryl Mitchell with the caption, carrying New Zealand. They'd got the picture of Matthew Wade carrying Australia and then a picture of a British Airways plane and, and said, carrying England <laughs> underneath it. Um, I've got to admit, I, I think they'll probably take Emirates because it will avoid a stopover and they'll probably get better <laughs> lounge access. So um, I did tell that person on Twitter that they, you know, they were probably wrong. Of course, they've come back to me um, to say I've missed the point, but um, I was just playing with them. Yeah, look, I guess in typical post-press match or press conference reaction style, I've got to just give you guys absolute credit. The way that Mitchell and Conway and Nisham played in that chase was absolutely superb. I think the disappointing thing for me was England, I think... um, there's a question for me as to whether they got their lineup right. That They picked Billings, who hadn't played a game in the tournament so far. He essentially ended up in the dugout. I think he would have probably um, remained in the, in the dugout as people sort of slid up and down the order as well throughout the course of the game and then just fielded as a boundary rider. They might have been better off bringing in another option and um, very, you know, very sort of clear that England said they had 24 overs on the field. Um, in terms of bowling options. Strange not to see Moen Ali uh, come into the mix to bowl at, at Conway. And the argument, of course, is that Livingston actually bowled a pretty good spell. But for me, that was probably an opportunity to try Moen at the other end as well, even if it was just for one over, which would have given them a lot more options as they went into those 
death overs. I think CJ at Chris Jordan, you know, he's done this before. He bowled, you know, he's bowled an over where he's really sort of lost the momentum in a game. And I think wasn't sure whether to go for Yorkers or to bowl into the pitch and kind of ended up doing neither really. Cannot argue with Jimmy Neesham's hitting, but I think you've got to look at that plan and execution from Jordan and say, whilst you never want to heap the blame on an individual, uh, the, the wides in that over as well really cost England and, and really, to Raj's point, swung that big momentum. But look, I think ultimately, um, really missing Tamal Mills, really missing Jofra Archer, um, in those death overs, but you've got to give credit to a guy that comes in on a wicket that was really difficult to hit sixes on um, and smoke the ball out of the park almost from um, from ball one and, and big redemption, I guess, for Jimmy Nisham following that 2019 World Cup um, final loss as well. And and boys, I, I you know that I want to get to New Zealand, so maybe we can go to Raj uh, in a second. But I, Baldy, maybe for you, because... Um, Binksy just touched on it there, the the Moeen Ali thing. Have um have have analytics gone too far? Because I mean, I was thinking the exact same thing when uh, New Zealand was bowling. Because Santner only bowled one over. We bowled an over mm. of Phillips, which was kind of weird. I thought at the time when Santner's our number one spinner, but obviously it's to do with matchups. But mm. you had the situation where the you know you Moeen Ali, who's been great in this whole tournament, doesn't bowl an over. Santner, who's yep you know, supposed to be New Zealand's number one spinner, only bowls one over. It, mm. it, like, what, what is going on? I'm not a big fan of, of, of changing your plan in a semi-final or a final. It comes unstuck far more often than not. I've been involved in a couple of sides that decided that they would change their plans for a final. It, it, I've never seen it work. It very rarely works. I was surprised by the Mo and Ali not bowling piece because he's been just about their best player he will definitely be in the team of the tournament if one of those is named he's definitely been one of the best bowlers and batters going around in the tournament and I just it beggars belief that he wouldn't get a go particularly against Conway I understand that New Zealand are stacked with right-handers and we're going to talk about that matchup against Australia but your best players should be given the opportunity to win you a big game and I feel like that Mo Ali could have been a point of difference for England. Even if after one over he went for 11, you take him off. At least you've tried that, right? Uh, uh, rather than just going, well, we're not going to give him a chance to win us the game. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. I think we've, we've, we know these data decisions and how they make them. And there is you know, reason to go down that path. But feel for the game still has to come into it. And, and these two captains in this game in particular are ones that do have great feel for the game. And, and I'm wondering how much influence they had over the decisions uh, of who was bowling. You know, we saw the uh, the numbers pop up there for uh, Owen Morgan throughout the um, throughout the innings there. But the one point I did want to make about that uh, was actually in the first innings there when Milan and um, Ali were, were getting away or starting to build a foundation, they decided to bowl Glenn Phillips ahead of Mitchell Santner and I think that moment actually it was the 10th over I believe or the 11th over and it actually kick-started that back end for for the English and I think you know you've, you've got to give it to your bowlers in that situation when you're on top I was surprised by that but that's a perfect example of of them going with that data-driven decision where it may not have um, worked out this time. Yeah and what was more puzzling for me is if you look at the way Milan plays he's got that inside out cover drive he's got a cut shot so really, they almost bowled to his strengths by building, bringing Phillips on um, rather than Santner bringing the ball into him. As long as he doesn't bowl him a cut ball, you're probably going to get, you know, get away with it and make him hit to the side that he's less comfortable 
um, hitting too. And, and I just think, you know, look, I don't want to get all sort of old school on this, but imagine telling Shane Warne he's not going to bowl because of a matchup at some point in a World Cup fat final um, or, or Glenn McGrath or, or any of these guys that have really honed their skills in a whole cycle to get to a final and then go, do you know what? We're going to bowl a bit of ponting because he might be able to bowl an offie. I, I, just, I, I just don't <laughs> think that that, you know, that happens. Um, so yeah, analytics gone mad for me there. Look, and that, that's enough. That's probably enough negativity now. Raj, look, we're in another World Cup final. How good? Incredible. I was I was actually, I, I, I don't know, I, I haven't actually been watching these games live. I've been getting up at 6 o'clock, um, getting up at 6 o'clock and watching, or starting from the beginning and watching the whole thing. But for some reason, I couldn't sleep that night. I got up. Three o'clock, turned the TV on and, and watched it, and um, it was it was incredible. A great way. I thought we were out of it uh, through through the middle stages of our second innings there, uh, but look, let's go back right to the start. I think we bowled really really well. We we bowled some incredible change ups on a pitch that was very two paced. Southie up front was really good, uh, getting his overs out of the way early. Uh, Ish Sodi through the middle, even though he returned figures, which were I think was 32 for one, he got a little bit of tap at the at the end of his spell there, but he bowled really well, and even um, Trent Bolt's knuckleball is actually coming along even much better than when he was bowling it at the IPL at the start of the year there as well. The one negative I think, and and I don't know, I'll, I'll throw it to you, Lippy here, is I felt that there were they built some great pressure through the start of an over and just released it at the end. There were a lot of boundary balls coming off the fifth and sixth ball. Uh, what did you make of that? Oh, absolutely. I, when I was, um, I made made a couple of notes during the game and one of them says boundaries off the last ball of the over. And yeah, I was I was thinking, geez, this is going to be a real difference maker in the game. But look, you know, you, you mentioned it before that you were up in the morning. I was much the same, couldn't sleep. My uh, youngest son, nine months old, was was crying in the night, so I was like, stuff it, I'm just getting up right now. I've been, yeah, I've been doing the same, kind of getting up at sort of 4.30, flicking through the games. and um, But yeah, by the time, I, uh, I think New Zealand was about, uh, must have been about halfway through New Zealand's chase, and my other two boys came down. Uh, they have four, five and four for, for the other listeners. And um, I, they, you know, I think we were about 60 for two then maybe. Um, and I started in my head kind of preparing them, because, you know, they're young kids. They want New Zealand to win. But they, you don't want them to be disappointed. So I was saying to them all the time, you know, look, it, you know, I think they said, oh, look, we've got 63, Dad. That's really good. And I was like, no, look, you know, we've still got a long way to go. And then, you know, Nisham and Mitchell started hitting some boundaries later on. And, and then I'd be pumping my fists, you know, slapping my wrist legs and then turning to them and going, oh, look, look, calm down again, boys. We've just we've got a long way to go. We're not there yet. Still got a job to do. And so, yeah, it was just emotions. Uh, you, you mentioned it before, but yeah, emotions were, were running high. What uh, what did you? How did you feel, Binksy, when we when you joined with what ten for two or whatever they were at the start of the uh, innings there? Yeah, look, I'll answer the question that obviously I'm pretty you know pretty happy because I think we've seen throughout the course of the tournament. If you take a couple of wickets in the power play, it's been actually tremendously um, effective in, in terms of really getting you in the you know massively into the game I, I think the thing with t20 though is that you you know you're never really out of it if you can take the game deep and for me I actually felt if you look at 
Um, I think Glenn Phillips was fourth out in the 15th over, 107 on the board. Um, I think if you go back to England's innings, David Milan was out almost identical in terms of the, the period of the innings. And England were just nine runs ahead at that point, you know, 15 um, 15 overs or so. And I felt the commentators had almost given up on New Zealand a lot earlier um, and, and weren't really actually saying, well, hold on a second, you've got two guys. This is very, very similar to the partnership in the England innings between um, Milan and Ali, who kind of built for a period at strike rates of maybe just over 100 and then, you know, did manage to sort of accelerate a little bit. And um, so I didn't really feel confident at any point during that because I knew that, you know, a big over. Um, or, a, you know, a, a strange moment. And I'm sure we'll come on to talk about some of those. Um, Lippy, I know you want to discuss some of the synergies potentially with the 2019 50 over World Cup final. Uh, yeah, look, I was never um, sitting back in my seat, um, at, you know, 4.45 in the morning thinking, yeah, we've got this in the bag. I always thought there was going to be some more twists and turns in the game um, and that it would end up being a pretty close one. It was funny, wasn't it, that um, you mentioned about the commentators because I'll give credit to Simon Dool here because quite early on I think he said uh, something like you know I think someone said to him because uh, when he when he turned up in commentary New Zealand was struggling and someone said you know how are you feeling you must be uh, must be upset or something and he said look the better team the team that's playing better is um, is on top and he said uh, well look you know all you've got to do in these situations is they'll be thinking we've got to keep wickets in hand and get it to 60 off five and then you're a chance and that's that's exactly how it played out, wasn't it? So, yeah, just just uh, definitely got to give him a shout-out. But, I mean, you mentioned those eerily similar moments. Why, why don't we touch on that? Um, because, you know, that'll kind of lead into that great knock, uh, the partnership there between Mitchell and, and Nisham when Nisham just went nuts. That We had uh, Johnny Bairstow touching the rope, and then they just kept zooming in on, on Trent Bolt uh, after that happened, which <laughs> I didn't really enjoy when they were doing that. But... Um, I have to say, I thought um, Bairstow had caught it or, you know, had uh, secured the catch live. So, yeah, I mean, just a weird game. And and the fact that we're getting uh, all of the, you know, all of these things are happening in England and New Zealand just producing outstanding games of cricket. Yeah, Lippy, definitely some eerie moments in the game. I felt that the Bairstow one, a little bit like the Trent Bolt one, I think he knew immediately that his knee was in contact with the rope, um, not taking away from the athleticism of actually even catching the ball in the first place and having the presence of mind to throw it back into the field. But I, I think we didn't need to go up to the third umpire to, to see that. Uh, we didn't mention the sort of running between the wickets one where I, I think the batsman non-striker got in the way of Adil Rashid. Um, but yeah, look, I think probably let's focus on some of the positives of that New Zealand in- innings. And I know, Raj, you're, you're keen to talk about Mitchell and, and, and Jimmy Neesham. Yes, I am. Very, very excited to talk about them. I do want to uh, just uh, uh, pull up a point that you were saying earlier about uh, Chris Jordan and um, also uh, how it swung the momentum. I- I'm someone who doesn't believe that a game can be won or lost, you know, from, from a little part of the game. But you can almost say that 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 swung the game in such a way uh, that 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 pushed New Zealand forward all the way through to the end. I really feel for Chris Jordan, like you said, it's not the um, the first time that's happened. I think it happened against South Africa earlier in the tournament. Uh, and even Owen Morgan afterwards said about Jimmy Neesham's power hitting, he's the only one who came in and was able to just get it straight out of the middle from ball one. And what a job he did, uh, Stu. Oh, just unreal, wasn't it? Because, yeah, like I said, the whole time I was kind of thinking we were behind, we were behind the rate, we were behind the rate. I was preparing the kids for a loss, and, yeah, he just he just got going. And, and I mean, we've you know, that's kind of 
what we what we hope for when we see Nisham, you know, we've we've talked a lot in these T20 World Cup uh, discussions about finishes and how important someone like Asif Ali's been for Pakistan and how people have been able to finish the innings. And look, Jimmy Nisham, absolutely. And I think that's where New Zealand got it wrong in that first game that, that they batted him at four because I think the ideal situation for Nisham, as much as you always think it's great if a guy has more time, if Nisham can just come in and go from ball one and it comes off, he wins you the game, and, and that's exactly what happened. Daryl Mitchell wasn't even on the cards as an opener coming into this uh, tournament. Let's just talk about his impact and, and how much he must be looking forward to that final with his old man there to watch as well. Oh, geez. I mean, absolutely. I mean, Gary Stead and Kane Williamson geniuses, right? I mean, <laughs> we didn't. No one, no one talked about it. It happened in that first game, and, and we lost the game. And everyone went, "Oh, what are people doing? What is Mitchell opening for? We're mucking around with our order, you know? What are these guys doing? He's one. He's just got us into the final with a, a magical, you know, magical innings. And and um, like you say, his old man's there. I mean, that's what's so gutting about for Conway as well. They keep showing his, uh, showing his family in the crowd there. So yeah, just again gutting for him but you you can't really say enough about what Mitchell's done and you know he's just been brilliant this whole tournament and I think the the best thing about him in that semi-final is the fact that he uh, stayed really composed because yeah I mean Raj you want to jump in I see you you're buzzing about over there I can't sort of keep you away from the mic so uh, yeah talk us through Daryl Mitchell yeah 100% uh, I do want to talk about Daryl Mitchell and I'm happy that you brought up that, you know, there was a lot of consternation about um, him opening the batting earlier. We talked about it on this podcast, but we did say that we trusted the, the direction that the coach and captain were going in. So, look, great faith shown by the Top Order podcast. <laughs> um, what really sums it up is what Kane Williamson said in the post-match. He said, you know, Daryl Mitchell has never really opened before, but it's not an experiment because we you know that's the temperament he's got we know what he we know what he brings to this side and and that's exactly what what he brought he was composed when we started to lose those wickets early he 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 changed his batting style Binksy mentioned um earlier over the text that uh you know, Daryl Mitchell had 20 balls there where he couldn't actually get bat on ball very well at all, and he managed to fight his way through that and get through to the end where he definitely was able to find the middle of the bat. So I think that, uh, like we've said this many times, when Daryl Mitchell comes in, he's often coming in to replace an injury or something along those lines, and he always stands up. And now he's had his chance to shine, and he's really um, he really carried us through to that, that final with the help of a couple of others. Look, I mean, we could talk about this for ages We've kept Baldy quiet over there in the corner, but it's probably your time to shine, Baldy. I mean, we've talked about how we felt for New Zealand on the back foot. How were you feeling when it was uh, when Maxwell got got out there and and Aussie was ninety six? A couple of emotions were, were running through my mind at that point: disappointment and frustration at another silly dismissal from Maxwell in a time where his team needed him to make a run of ball thirty, and they were just about home. At that point, Australia really needed a big partnership and, and Maxwell gave the game away a little bit there, but he's done that a couple of times in the tournament and I guess you have to live with the mercurial nature of his talent in that sometimes he's going to play a reverse sweep and it's going to go for six and sometimes he's going to hit it straight down deep points throat. One day you're a rooster and the next day you're a feather duster. But, I mean, I've been really excited for Australia to get to the semi-final because it wasn't an expectation that Australia would be able to do that. I don't think very many people expected them to get out of the group. So for them to get to the semi-final and compete against the side that I think has played just about the best cricket, if not the best cricket, throughout the, the group stages uh, to go undefeated 
uh, no one expected Australia to win that game. None of my friends in Australia expected to, Australia to win that game. We all expected them to get hosed. And so for Australia to be in the game with a puncher's chance and Wade and, and Stoinis with, I think it was, again, 60 off five overs and Australia needed, I think, uh, 60 off 24 or something like that, very similar to the New Zealand chase and did it with six balls to spare. So lots of parallels there. And, and just really surprised and overjoyed at the result, I've, I've got to be honest. Not a, not a result that I expected Australia to come away with, particularly Matthew Wade getting 41 off 17 to ice the game for Australia, having been dropped in the outfield. Baldy, where do you think Pakistan, I guess, lost that game? I mean, easy, obviously, to pinpoint um, Wade's impact striking at, I think, 240-odd or something ridiculous at yep. the, the end of the innings. But... When you look at their yep. first 10 overs, steady accumulation. Um, even if you kind of look at Aussie, they scored at n- nearly nine and over in their first 10 compared with seven and over. But mm. we, we pinpointed in that England game, maybe that CJ over being the pivotal point. What was the pivotal point for you in the, in the chase or in the game? Oh, run outs. Absolutely. Australia should have been run out three times having given themselves up. There were three different occasions where Australians had, had made the wrong call. I think uh, left-handed Fakazaman had one from cover. Uh, there was one where I might have even been Rizwan should have thrown the stumps down um, from the from the keeper spot. And there was one at square leg as well from memory, where I think it might have even been Maxwell involved in that, even if it wasn't him running to the danger end. So if Pakistan hit the stumps one time out of three, there Australia are in huge trouble. I think that was one of the real key differences that Pakistan just weren't able to hit the stumps under pressure. And of course, unfortunately for Hassan Ali, drops Matthew Wade and then he goes bang, 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 hits 18 runs off three and then the game's over. So that in the in the telling was proved a really, really crucial dropped catch. Unfortunately for Hassan Ali, who's been good in this tournament, but didn't have the best of days in the semi-final. I actually found another moment. I think that Pakistan should have actually got into the 190s or close to that. If you have a look at the mm. um, at the last four overs, uh, 17th went for 21 off Hazelwood, 18th went for 15 off Mitchell Stark, the 19th over went for three runs from Pat Cummins. Yeah, Cummins, ex- excellent over. Should have had actually should have had two. Steve Smith dropped an easy catch in the outfield. He should have been on a hat trick. Um, but that was an excellent over from Cummins because Pakistan were on the charge there at that point. And, and uh, Raj, do you want to dial back your comment now about Australia's build-up to the tournament? It's uh, we, We've been uh, sort of slamming that for, for our whole, uh, for about a year now, um, about Australia kind of not playing. And then uh, we've also seen it with India. We were all going at the start of the tournament, look, isn't it great that they've all played the IPL? They're all going to come fresh off, and then India is a big flop. Is, is the secret now you just don't play cricket in the lead-up to, to big tournaments? That must be it. That must be it because I'm not going to dial back those comments because that's exactly what happened. Um, but look, you can't take it away from Australia. They've played played really good cricket uh, throughout this tournament uh, with all their players back, and um, they deserve to beat Pakistan on the night. Baldy, I tell you what they did do. They've stuck to their best eleven. So they've decided what their best eleven was. It didn't involve Ashton Agar. We got that. Uh, we we made that change for the England game when we got that wrong, and we've gone back to what we think our best eleven is. And that's the thing that Australia has stuck with really well. And it's allowed them to kind of build across the tournament. And because these guys have had consistency in their roles, they know coming into a semi-final, okay, Stoinis and Wade did that same job in that same situation, albeit with less runs to chase, against South Africa. Because they had that consistency and continuity of their game plan, they were able to execute in key situations because... 
they had been in that same situation before and they knew what their role was going to be. Uh, so I think, for me, sticking to the game plan, sticking to your guns and going, this is our best 11, this is what we're going to go with, is a long way to go to why Australia have done well in this tournament. I think one of the things as well is is, is putting Mitchell Marsh up to, up to three has actually really worked for them. And they were doing that prior to the World Cup as well. But it's helped push Glenn Maxwell down further and, and it didn't help him on this occasion. But... Uh, it, it, it's elongated that batting lineup and, and left their hitters towards the end there. I'm actually a little bit unsure about having a keeper batting at number seven. Uh, it, it's worked in this situation. Mm. Do, do you think that that is a, a genuine tactic going forward or they've just gotten lucky this time? I think Australia have gotten lucky a little bit in that they've got enough out of their fifth bowling option with Maxwell, Stoinis and Marsh that they can get those four overs out of the way and they haven't been punished too badly, except maybe in the England game. But they went with Ashton Agar in that fifth bowling option in that game. So different scenario. I think it's it's not a tactic I think many teams will adopt, but Australia needed a seventh batter against South Africa and they needed a seventh batter against Pakistan. And that's got them over the line in two really, really close games. So... While before the tournament, you and I were both talking, Raj, about whether or not that that weighed spot at seven was a wasted spot in the Australian order, given that they've got Marsh and Stoinis and Maxwell to bowl overs and can play that all-rounder role, I think it's okay that Australia batted that extra batter in that in the tournament so far. Just two things about uh, David Warner. Firstly, has he played himself back into your mind as... Uh, your best opener in, in the white ball form at least uh, after his two performances or two recent performances and secondly why is he walking when he's not actually nicking the ball when um, teams appealing I have no idea why he walked I really don't I to be honest and we were talking about it earlier I thought he was out I thought there was a noise and that the wicketkeeper and the and the bowler had just gone up and it was a fait accompli and he was out. But it, on the replays clearly showed he'd missed it by some distance. So I'm not sure what was going on in his head there. I, maybe he was just disappointed, didn't think about the opportunity that he had to review. Maybe he thought he hit it. He must have thought he hit it. He wouldn't walk if he if he knew he, that he hadn't hit it. He probably wouldn't have walked if he did hit it. He'd wait for the umpire to give him out, I'm pretty sure. He's coming into form at the right time, but he's going to have a very, very different challenge against Southie and Bolt, I think, moving forward. I think they will pose a lot more of a problem for David Warner uh, in the final and he's going to have to step up his game because it's going to be a real bun fight. Well, Bordy, I guess that's a nice segue into the final. Um, we've got some lineup changes for sure in the New Zealand camp. What are we thinking is going to be the permutation that they go with, guys? Um, looks like it's going to have to be Seifert coming in unless they do something really, really bold and um, Phillips um, either has to take his pads off to bowl his uh, over in the middle, um, or, or, or he takes the gloves a little bit unexpectedly. But yeah, what are the the options for New Zealand? Do you think? Oh, well, firstly, just gutted that, about Conway's injury. I mean, you know, we've obviously had a bit of chat uh, offline about it, but you know, personally, I just think it's a you know a freak injury that you know he probably punches bat a hundred times in a row uh, with with his gloves on, and, and you know that never happens, but. And I think that the big thing for New Zealand, as you mentioned it before, just the fact that he's our keeper as well in this tournament, it's such a big loss. I don't know that there's anyone else. I don't know that, yeah, you know, I mean, Raj, is, you know, is he actually our most important person in this lineup? I thought you were going to ask if I was available. Um, <laughs> Binksy asked why we weren't actually a bit more 
um, incensed about this. I think I'm not really feeling it. He is an important cog in our batting lineup, but I think in 2020 cricket, you can plaster over the cracks. There is the ability to do that. Where I'm going to feel it is when we start talking about the India Test Series preview. I think it's a massive loss there. Um, but yeah, what do, you, what do you think is going to happen with the lineups, Stu? Oh, look, I mean, I think they have to bring Seifert, and I, I don't. Um, I, I think it's a massive kick in the teeth if they don't um, to Seifert. And I mean, if they don't, what's what's he doing there? Like, he shouldn't have been. He shouldn't be there if he's not going to come in. I mean, yes, there's been some talk that maybe Phillips could keep and uh, Chapman could come in or something like that, and then it gives you another bowling option. But you know, do we trust Chapman at international level any more than we trust Seifert? Maybe we do, maybe we don't. I, I don't know. It's probably a personal preference thing there. It's probably a right-hand, left-hand thing. Look, I think in reality we're going to see uh, Phillips move up to four. We're going to see Seifert at five or six, depending on the situation, and same with Nisham. One of them, you know, those two will probably be interchangeable in terms of when they come in, in terms of what the situation is in the game, who's bowling, all the matchups, whether they need a left or right-hander, whether they need a big hitter. You know, I hope that Seifert comes in and, and takes his opportunity because what an absolute great opportunity for someone to come in in a World Cup final with with actually, you know, he's got nothing to lose because he, no one expected him to be there. No one, you know, no, probably no one in New Zealand wanted him to be there, um, on, you know, for Devon Conway at least. So, you know, he's got a great opportunity to come in and spark the game and you know, on the episode that hasn't actually released yet um, about our evolution of T20 cricket, Binksy talked about the, the keepers and, and how they're a bit diminished in uh, in T20 cricket. And we saw it in that game with Conway, who dropped Milan quite early on, where, um, you know, it was it could have been a really crucial moment in the game. And, and I think a regulation keeper or a full-time keeper would have probably caught that. So, look, I think that's what New Zealand will do. I'm absolutely gutted about it, but... You know, maybe it's Phillips' time, like Raj predicted in the uh, in the lead up to the tournament. It's always Phillips' time. There is there is one other option, and I think that that's right. I think that your Seifert's playing; he has to play because we need a, a specialist batsman. Him or Chapman need to play because of their batting ability. The other option we have is that we play uh, the likes of Kyle Jamieson. The reason I say that he's probably in the mix is because, one, he's been playing IPL. So out of all of them, he's actually been playing recently. Secondly is the pitches that we've seen in these two uh, World Cup semi-finals. I know they're at different venues, but they're on, on fresher wickets where they, they are dry, but they have a little bit of bounce in them, a little bit of two-paced stuff to them uh, where he might be very effective. He's an option, but uh, I don't think that they'll be brave enough to go for it. Baldy, I'm going to come to you next in terms of Australia's lineup. We just talked about it, I think, in terms of the best 11 players. Don't see any changes for them. There's no sort of matchups that they might consider and uh, and make a bold decision for this final. The only thing I think Australia will be considering is if Conway is out, New Zealand will likely have five out of their six top six batters be right-handers. And what does that do for Australia's fifth bowling option? I think that's the matchup that they'll be the most concerned about. If they've got Maxwell there, he'll be hitting, you know, bowling into the hitting arc of, of those right-handers, particularly Guptill and Mitchell, um, but also, you know, Williamson can hurt them and, and so on and so forth. So 
I think there will be a temptation to consider Ashton Agar, but that is not the formula that has got Australia into the final. Australia need to back the guys that have got them there to do the job. And even if that means they might need an over from Stoinis in the power play, which he's done in the IPL, or an over from Marsh to try and sneak something somewhere so that they don't have to go to Ashton Agar just to have someone going away from the bat from the right to the right-handers. And lads, we should probably just about get to predictions. And I kind of, um, I, I really want to bait you, Baldy, into picking Australia so that we can uh, get New Zealand to win this game um, because I know how that is. So, I mean, you know, when Australia turns up to that game and they see it is New Zealand across the park, generally Australia has dealt with New Zealand pretty comfortably in uh, in, in games. They're going to think back to that test series. They're going to think back to 2015 where you gave us a, a pretty good hiding in that final in the end. I mean, you know, you must be pretty confident about this game, right? Oh, no, Australia are massively underdogs. <laughs> New Zealand have got all the running and Australia are really up against it in the final. <laughs> of course, that's the way Australians have to think, right? We have to consider ourselves underdogs, otherwise we're no chance. <laughs> I don't think I don't think either of these sides fear each other, and I think that's a formula uh, that's a result of having played each other so so often recently. Uh, of course, New Zealand beat Australia in New Zealand in the lead up to this World Cup in 2021 uh, in a in a pretty closely fought series. But I think the result or the the st- the numbers the number of games won belies the dominance that New Zealand had over Australia in that series. I don't think that many Australians will fear the New Zealanders, but I don't think that the New Zealanders will fear Australia either. And I think New Zealand will go in feeling like they've got enough firepower and enough belief to win the game. I'm not going to be so bold as to predict an Australian victory. You're not going to get that out of me tonight. But I think there are some reasons why Australia can win. And I think that all it all revolves around Warner and Finch and that battle at the front between Warner and Finch and, and Stark and... Um, and Southey and Bolt. If Bolt swings the ball into Finch's pads and traps him in front early and Southey nicks off David Warner, that's a massive, massive win early in the innings for New Zealand and it will be tough for Australia to come back from that. So that first four or five overs is going to be absolutely crucial in terms of wickets in hand. The other battle that I'm really looking forward to is the battle of the wrist spinners. Ish Sodi against Adam Zamba, two of the leading wicket takers in the tournament. We've talked about New Zealand having a lot of right-hand batters in their top five, top six. Of course, Adam Zampa turned the ball in Dubai, actually turned a couple past the bat and looked really, really good. And he's been a leading wicket taker in the tournament to date, I believe. So he's going to be the real key to that Australian bowling attack. Uh, and of course, making sure that we keep Martin Guptill and Mitchell under a little bit of control at the top there and not letting them get away. Baldy, I'm going to jump in a little bit to your defence here. Lippy, uh, clearly just trying to to bait you there. I, I think as well, it isn't really an Australian response. It's really your response that you're the underdogs. <laughs> I, I seem to recall Shane Warne and Glenn McGrath predicting 5-0 victories every time they played um, a series against anyone. So um, I think that's more Michael Baldwin than the, uh, the Australians in general. But a question to the Kiwi boys. How concerned are you that this is your you know, third white ball World Cup final in pretty quick succession? Um, and look, I guess an opportunity against Australia again, who you, you know, really didn't perform against in that 2015 um, final. How much is that going to play on the minds that you know, it could be another situation of so close but yet so far? Yeah, I I think when you look back at those two uh, other white ball finals you're talking about, I did feel like, you know, the occasion may have got to us at certain stages. That the one that really stands out is obviously the Stark to McCullum incident in the first over of the the 2015 World Cup, and I think that's what's going to be a big 
uh, indicator uh, in this World Cup is Zach's going to get that white ball, new brand new white ball at the at the top of the top of the innings, and we'll see how the team deal deal with that. And it's going to show us a, a lot about the mental state that the um, the Black Caps are in. But look, it has to it has to we have to break that at some stage. Why not this time? Why not, Stu? Oh, it's funny because um, I think uh, in thinking about that question, actually, I feel like both of these teams almost are playing with house money in this game for some reason. I, I you know, obviously, if New Zealand lose, I'll be absolutely gutted, um, just like I would have been the other day if they lost, um, just like I am any kind of game that they lose, and, and this one would be, <laughs> but this one would obviously mean a lot more. Um, but for some reason, I just feel like both teams have almost over exceeded expectations. Well, they've exceeded expectations already, and you know you're right in that we do have to win. But I think the fact that we now have the World Test Championship in the bag, and the fact that we can say, "Look, we are legitimately like this," is just another example that we're at the pointy end of of world cricket. That we, you know, have been in all these finals. We have got some silverware now, or gold, or whatever that mace is. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any sort of level of oh, we have to do this because otherwise we'll be perennial losers. I think it's more, uh, this is a wonderful opportunity to, to now be, you know, to win two titles in a year. And, and I think they'll just be fizzing with the occasion. Obviously, the Conway injury, you know, puts a bit of a dampener on it. But like I said, it's it's another opportunity for someone else to step up. And, and everyone that's come into that New Zealand environment just keeps stepping up. So, yeah, it's just an exciting occasion. Well, guys, we will wrap up the podcast. Um, I'm looking at Bet365. So they've got Australia as favourites here, at paying $1.57. New Zealand paying $2.37. Nah, it has to be wrong. It has to be wrong. It has to be the other way around. Um, And I've I've actually double-checked that on uh, Centrebet as well as the Australian websites also. And, you know, they're very similar and very... Uh, very jingoistic, those Australian websites. They've got them actually as shorter price favourites, dollar uh, paying just 80 cents, um, in fact, in Australia, <laughs> Bordeaux. Um, but look, jokes aside, um, guys, I am going to put you on the spot. Who's going to win? And it's not who you want to win. This is who you think is going to win um, the final. I'm going to do this as a little bit of a sandwich. I'm going to come to Raj, then you, Bordeaux, um, and then Lippy. So I think the um, the poor preparation of the Australians is going to catch up with them uh, this, this time round, and uh, New Zealand's going to win. Uh, you're going to see a, a, a quick seventy from Martin Gupto, and uh, and and we'll uh, we'll win the game there, one nil to the Black Caps. Well, I'm hoping that both sides are playing with house money. It's a great analogy, Stu. You're absolutely right. Will will express themselves and will have a free flowing and ultimately entertaining affair. I'm predicting New Zealand to win, and I genuinely think that they will win the game. I'm not messing with every, with anybody. I genuinely think that New Zealand will win the game. Oh, this is ridiculous because now I have to predict Australia to win because we can't play with this juju that uh, Baldy's got going on. So look, I you know I I think everybody listens to this at any point, and all the three of you know exactly that I can't think past my my heart in these situations. So obviously, a hundred percent will be thinking about New Zealand. But you know, if I have to predict because of this Conway injury, I will go with uh, Australia. But Binksy, really, you're the only one that can look at this uh, without any rose-colored glasses on. So I'm I'm really keen to hear what you think. Actually, as somewhat of a neutral. Yeah, so look, I, I will just caveat this by saying that I will never, ever wish Australia to win anything. 
So, yeah, if I'm supporting a side, it's England. And then the second side I support is whoever's playing against Australia. So, look, for me, I'd really like to see uh, New Zealand win. But unfortunately for you boys, and and look, probably actually good in terms of what will happen because this will be wrong. I I do think (laughs) Australia go into this as as favourites because I think the expectations are on uh, upon them are less. Um, I don't think they have the recent mental scarring that you guys have of those, um, you know, three finals reached now and, and just really hoping that you can get over the line. So I, I really do believe that Australia do go into this as as uh, a slight favourites. But hey, the game's not played on paper. Um, it's played on grass. It's three o'clock in the morning, Monday. There's going to be some bleary eyes all around New Zealand's home offices um, around the country. Boys, I'm fizzing. Can't wait to watch it as a neutral with a cup of tea. That's it from us here. You'll see other (laughs) podcasts in the feed very shortly. We will um, most likely delay um, our scheduled programming um, to slot this episode in, obviously, before uh, the final. Um, But good luck to the Black Caps. Australia, I can't say the same. It's good night and good bless from us all here in Auckland. See you soon.